where the members of the church are regularly practicing the, the truths, the principles that Jesus gives us here in Matthew 18, other places in his word, th- then you have a body with a healthy immune system where, yes, you know, foreign invaders are going to come in. There, there's going to be sin. That's not the surprise. Um, but we, we should know how to handle it God's way. And, and that really comes down to dealing with each other directly, confessing our sin when we're the one in the wrong, forgiving when we're sinned against. It, it's that simple. You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles, and we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hello, everybody. You're listening to another episode of Make and Multiply. My name is Matt Groon. I have the joy to serve as one of the pastors at Emmaus Road Church. Joined again this morning with my dear friend, Ryan Chase, the senior pastor at Emmaus. Uh, and this morning, or today, we're going to look at uh, kind of doing a little bit more follow-up off of our, our previous sermon series, um, Habits of Grace. And particularly this year, is our practice at Emmaus to kind of take the first three or four weeks of January to really examine the habits of grace, the 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 ways which God has, in His Word, designated that are the ways that we receive—not mm. a like a magical grace, mm. but a, an, a, a, an experiential grace from Him to know Him better in in His Word, to meditate um, through prayer and through fellowship and all the rest. And this year, in particular, we looked at the corporate habits of grace. We looked at uh, gathering together on a Sunday. We looked at the Lord's Supper. We looked at baptism. And then just this couple weeks ago, we ended that series. You preached, Ryan, on uh, or on uh, church discipline, mm-hmm. which is such a formal title. Yeah. <laughs> but I think what was so helpful about that series and I, why, or that sermon in particular, why we kind of want to follow back up is because it's not just a institutionalized uh, process that is very formal and uh, kind of void of any sort of emotion. No, it, it, it's th- that principle is, yes, a institutional, which is important, institutional gift given to the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not regularly that by, by God's grace and Lord willing that we don't usually have these salacious sins that need to be brought in front of the whole church where we're, you know, having to follow the Matthew 18 process all the way to the end. Right. Praise God. Removing that, somebody from right. church membership or excommunicating. Right. Yeah. Praise that's God. Rare. That, that's rare. Um, but for us, I, I think you and I just both agree, and you, you hinted at it and got to it and described it at, in your sermon, but I think it's worth following up and just kind of mm-hmm. rethinking through and reapplying kind of the, um, the details of, of this is that this actually can apply to our everyday life, right. our interactions with one another, with our, with like for us, for our wives, mm-hmm. with our children, mm-hmm. um, all the people at Emmaus Road Church in your gospel communities. You can use this at work. You can use this with your extended family. You can, th- these processes are given by God and by his grace and through his spirit can actually create a, a, a real community. Right. Um, so our aim in this is just kind of unpack that a bit more. Uh, maybe starting again where Matthew 18 is in the kind of more formal church discipline category, but move towards, okay, now what about life on life? How how does this play out? That's good. So maybe Ryan, let's start there. Uh, When you, because people hear the word church discipline. Yeah. 
And that could evoke a lot of different images. Um, what are some of them and help us think <laughs> which one's the right? <laughs> well, I think in that sermon I mentioned just that phrase probably has connotations of authoritarian, um, domineering, strict, legalistic, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of puts everybody on edge. It's, it's kind of like if you're driving and you, you see a, a speed trap up ahead, you might be driving the speed limit, but your heart still kind of skips a beat and you feel like you're doing something wrong. It's just like going through the airport security <laughs> is like, I have to remind myself as I go through, like, I'm not a terrorist. I don't I have a done bomb. anything wrong. I haven't done, no matter what they, no matter how much yelling they're doing or take this off and put this here and how dare you. It's like, I'm, I'm not the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, you hear a phrase like church discipline and, and you just kind of, it, it can set you on edge. Like, oh no, what did I do? Or what's about to happen? Um, so, it, you know, it, but scripture itself even says that when the author of Hebrews says, no discipline is pleasant at the time, right. but rather painful. But, you know, our, our own parents did their best to discipline us for our good because they love us. And even better than our parents, we have... God who is perfect in his love and his wisdom. He disciplines those he loves. And the promise in Hebrews is that those who are trained by the Lord's discipline will enjoy this peaceful harvest of righteousness, mm. which is an incredible what a promise. blessing and yeah. benefit. And so we, we do want to be trained. That, that's really what the word means. It's, it's training, it's education, it's teaching and instructing. So we, we want to be trained by God's grace. Mm. And like you said, that, that's not limited just to the more formal process, some some big serious sin, some unrepentant person who moves all the, all the way to the end of you know being removed from church membership. Um, this really starts at the beginning with that first step in Matthew 18, learning to deal directly with one another. If your brother sins against you, go to him and tell him his fault between, Jesus says, you and him alone. Right. And I think of it kind of like, uh, the immune system of your body. This this is the immune system of the church, the body of Christ, that sin, it, it infects the body. When we sin, we sin against God first and foremost, but most of our sin is also relational. Mm. It, it at least has relational implications, mm. um, and it puts us out of fellowship with one another. And so if sin is not dealt with, if the body doesn't have an immune system to, to react to that and deal with sin God's way, then those infections just grow and spread and things like division grow within a church. But where the members of the church are regularly practicing the, the truths, the principles that Jesus gives us here in Matthew 18, other places in his word, th- then you have a body with a healthy immune system where, yes, you know, foreign invaders are going to come in. There, there's going to be sin. That's not the surprise. Um, but we, we should know how to handle it God's way. And, and that really comes down to dealing with each other directly, confessing our sin when we're the one in the wrong, forgiving when we're sinned against. It, it's that simple. So maybe help us then. This is a question that came up in my GC as we were discussing. How do you know when you've moved on, like when to move on from step one? Mm. Or what signs should, you know, what were some helpful ways to think through? Um, how do we know that we have to move on to the next step? Mm-hmm. And what are those next steps, yeah. if you will. Well, the thing that moves the whole process along from one step to the next all the way through in, in Matthew 18, Jesus says, uh, if your brother doesn't listen to you, hmm. if he refuses to listen. Um, so it's, it's the responsiveness of that person. It, it doesn't specify, you know, how many times should I make an attempt? But I, I think we have some 
helpful principles in Scripture, Matthew 7, uh, Jesus says, first take the log out of your own eye so that you can see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. So so, so I think that should inform Matthew 18 as well. Mm. Okay, so if my brother has sinned against me, am I going to that person having already examined my heart? Is it Mm. possible I've contributed at all that my sin is actually a bigger deal here. That that's the whole, you know, Jesus says, why, why are you worried about taking the speck out of your brother's eye when you've mm. got a log in your own eye? So right. start there, self-examination. If you do that, at a minimum, you go to that person humbly, you go more aware of your own need for God's grace. Yes. And if you know that you need God's grace, then you are going to be more inclined to show grace to somebody else. Yes. You're not going with a, you know, I've got an ax to grind and yes. I, I'm going to, I'm here to really let you know how much you hurt me. do justice. That's right. Yeah. Execute yeah. this. It, it's, you're going to that person out of love and concern for him because mm. he's in sin and you know your own sin and you know what your sin deserves and you know what grace God's shown you. So that helps that first step. Uh, Galatians 6 Verse 1, likewise, Paul says, if, if any of you sees a, a brother caught in some transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So when he says you who are spiritual, he means you who are walking in the spirit. That's he just ended Galatians chapter 5, describing life in the spirit versus life in the flesh. Life in the spirit is characterized by the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. So when he says you who are spiritual, that doesn't mean like, well, you know, some of us are really spiritual and some of us are not so much. No, if you're a Christian, the spirit of God is in you, then bearing the fruit of the spirit, go to that person. So that interaction should be marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All that should be exhibited in your going to confront that person. So yes. that affects the way that we go. And then I think if if you have that in mind, you're inclined not just to say after one interaction, well, I tried and he didn't listen mm-hmm. and you're going to you know ramp this thing up. Um, there, there might be big extended attempts at trying two, three times, praying, maybe giving the other person. It's possible that they... Um, need time to process and receive and reflect and allow the Holy Spirit to convict them if they really did sin or right. not. Um, so it might not immediately be hard-heartedness. It mm. might just be a matter of, wow, that, that was a blind spot. I didn't see that. Can I think about that? Um, so I, I think there are various factors. So there's not like a hard and fast, you know, th- then you Check escalate this box. it. But yeah. it, it really is motivated by the fruit of the Spirit and the heart desire for reconciliation yeah. and restoration of the relationship. Another question then is, um, what, what is to be our our standard for if your brother has sinned against you, if he's gone? Mm. Like, is it? I think mo- most of the time, it, if we're if we're being honest with ourselves, it's that he offended me. Right. He he did that against me, um, and so is that approach? Is that supposed to be our standard? How, how are we supposed to navigate? So imagine, like, I come to you, Ryan. And I say, you know what you said that that was that offended me because mm-hmm. of X Y Z, and you sit there and like, well, I mean, I no, nah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> help help us think through that because I think that that could very well happen where somebody's Absolutely. approached with. Because remember, this is not like I know I was wrong. I'm coming to you. This is if your brother sinned to you, go against them. So this mm-hmm. might be the first time he's even had the category of I said something offensive, or and he's trying to think through, or you're trying to think through to me like, well. I don't. I was not intending that at all, or whatever. Like, right. how do we navigate those kind of more sticky situations? Yeah, I think it's why it's absolutely essential to have the shared conviction. Sin is defined by God and God's word. Sin is violating God's law, mm. not 
hurting somebody else's feelings. Right. It, it's possible that it, it's possible to hurt people's feelings without sinning. Now, I'm be careful how I <laughs> say that. Jesus offended a lot of people. The word offends people. Yes. Often. Yeah. Um, and so there's one time when Jesus is addressing you know, scribes and Pharisees, and, and he has all these comments, critiques for one group, and the other group comes along and says, D- did you know that you offended us when you said those things? <laughs> and yes. he's like, oh yeah, in fact, I haven't even gotten to you yet. So <laughs> <laughs> Just get in line, buckaroo. And, and Jesus is not sinning right. in that. And so I, I do think in community, um, you know, it, it calls being in in gospel community with one another requires growing in maturity, having some thick skin to That's differentiate right. between if somebody just stated their own personal views or their opinions or their convictions, and some people can do that strongly. You know, they're they're convinced in their own mind about dietary issues or schooling choices mm. or, you know, color of the carpet. What you know, it's like if somebody has a strong opinion, we live in a culture where it, people are easily offended by the fact that somebody else thought differently. And so we do have to be careful not to take offense just because somebody else had a different opinion than we had and stated it strongly right. uh, or because our, our feelings were hurt because they disagreed with us. And you know, it's right. possible to disagree charitably without sinning and then have hurt feelings that somebody else didn't see it my way. Um, so, so we just, we really have to learn to discern what is God's law what does God require? And, and is this actually sin? Is it a violation of God's law? Which means we're, we're safest when we can uh, identify sin the way the Bible defines yeah, it, call, what it calls it. Call, yeah. So the Bible has words, names for sins. Um, and, and we should be careful, you know, if it really is sin, we should be able to identify what, what does God call this? Well, I think just to apply this, I think this is so critical um, in the starting place is primarily within marriages for this to take place. Um, some some advice and some wisdom that C.J. Mahaney gave us while we were at the PC was just like, be aware and, and build up within your wives the ability to not easily take up the offense of a spouse. Mm-hmm. So like, picture this. You go to GC and I say something, like let's just say we're in a GC together. I say something and you totally like, well, that's not true. That you know, and you disagree, and we have this disagreement. This drive home, I say to Jamie, "Man, can you believe Ryan said that? that mm. What a jerk!" But can he, can you believe that? And then the danger of her, without having the context of like, well, let's examine that, just joining in with the offense. Now you have two wounded parties, mm-hmm. and they're in lock gridiron together, and all of a sudden the walls are up, mm-hmm. and community. Just is destroyed. So that's so helpful to like have the first place of when I start whining and complaining about if somebody offended me or I didn't like this, um, to have a a gospel partner in your wife that is able to say, well, I don't know if that's true. Uh, Mm -hmm. Let's let's like you said, let's look and examine the scriptures to see what like like the Bereans to see whether or not that's that's true. It could be, Mm -hmm. and if so, then you know there's steps to take. But if it's not, well, then the problem's not in the spec, it's in the log. That's right. And, and so I think that's such a good starting place of, um, and then also not reacting if, when your wife disagrees with you, <laughs> just creates this, I, I want, I want what offends me to be in line with what the scriptures say. I want to be offended because God is offended, not mm. because I'm offended because right. I want to, I want people to repent of sin against God's law, not against my law. Mm-hmm. 
I think you said that in your sermon. That's just so helpful as a, as a starting place for, within our marriages. And that can then be extrapolated and applied to our kids and how they interact with one another yep. um, <laughs> and how they fight and reconcile. And uh, we were talking before, and maybe you mentioned this, of, of tattling siblings. Yeah. Like, what do you do there, Ryan, when you have a tattle? Yeah, I think the principles in Matthew 18, this is where the, the first steps are just the, the wisdom of God is so clear and such a blessing when we embrace these and apply them in all of life. It gives a lot of wisdom to parents um, because I think a lot of parents have some sense tattling is wrong. Right. Don't want my kid to be a tattletale. Don't want them always just running to me, telling me Johnny's doing something wrong outside. But at the same time, it's like, well, don't we want to encourage that impulse to come get an adult for help if there's a problem? So what what should they do instead? It's one of those where, okay, put off tattling. That, that's wrong. Proverbs warns against a tale bearer. Mm. Um, but what should you do instead? Well, Matthew 18 gives us the wisdom. This is what we should teach our kids to practice this process in their everyday interactions. So in our home, if a kid comes around the corner and says, you know, my brother hit me. Um, our first question is, did you talk to your brother yet? Have, mm. have you addressed him directly? There is a time for them to come get a parent to intervene because it's possible that the brother who offended is hard-hearted and not responsive and right. whatever. So we want them to learn that process. The first thing you do is address that with your brother. He took my toy. Okay, did you talk to him yet? And it's amazing to hear kids, they can catch on to go to each other and say, hey, did you know you took that toy from me? Mm. <laughs> but it gives them an opportunity to learn to work things out where... Be direct with one another. They can be direct with one another. The other one has an opportunity to say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize you were using that. Or, I'm sorry, I was wrong to take that from you. Right. And so it, it can be dealt with right there. Now, oftentimes with kids, at some point, parents are going to have to step in. It's kind of like the church discipline process. If the brother's not responsive, they refuse to listen, <laughs> then you go get help. But it just, it's so much more productive. And, and it's, an, it's a beautiful thing to watch kids mm. start to live that out. You just see the wisdom of God's word in action. So this is so vital to, to a healthy community, whether that, at whatever scale, whether yes. it's just between you and your wife, in your family, um, in your GC, at the church. Um, but Let's just let's just think of it as a at the level of the GC. Mm. Um, somebody there, there's if we do not deal with one another directly, what ends up happening is you have this culture of nobody can actually trust anyone mm -hmm. because are they telling me what they actually think? Are mm -hmm. there back channel communication like after the GC people are texting one another? Can you believe what so and so said? Or mm -hmm. can you believe they said that or did this? And it becomes this this kind of there's two communities. There's the faux community, which yep. is the physical one we all get together, and then the back-channeled, like, well, we don't, we do, because the, the reality is people deal, they either deal indirectly or right. directly. Right. Um, it is in our nature to want to point out wrong and point out this and that, but the problem is, is when we deal with it indirectly, we create an anxious and distrustful environment. Yeah, it totally undermines trust because when you, a couple things, one, when you catch on if it gets back to you, so-and-so maybe thought something, took offense at something, it just provokes this suspicious thought of like, well, what else have they not yes. said to me? So that undermines trust and relational fabric. And were they ever going to tell me? Like yeah. now it's just like, what, 
what conversations are what you start off and look back on all the conversations you have. It's like, were they offended by me? By, right. By they were smiling, but were they just faking right. then? Be- yeah. And, and I think the other suspicion it sows is if you participate in that, at some point it might dawn on you, oh, wait, if this person is talking to me about their grievance against Matt, do they ever talk to Matt about any grievance against me that <laughs> exactly. I don't know about? <laughs> yeah. It so it, it just creates a, you know, it, it, when you, when you just step back and realize like, oh, I'm part of like a system where gossip happens, you start to wonder, what do people say about me when I'm not around? Mm. So th- those things really undermine trust, which is the only currency we have with each other in That's community. Right. That's right. So let's try and apply this now to a scenario. Okay. So somebody in the group offends the other and he's, you seek to, uh, you want to follow, you want to be faithful Matthew 18, so you directly address it. But there's this lingering question of when is the confession genuine? Mm. When, is, when has forgiveness been extended? What, what hope is there? Like when, when do we know we can get off of the discipline train mm. and on to just normal community? Back into reconciliation. That's right. And I think a way to help inform this, Ryan, you wrote a post back on April 3rd, oh, my birthday. April 30, 2018. How about that? Uh, you wrote a, a blog post called Redeeming Conflict, Confession and Forgiveness. And you list these seven A's of confession, which mm-hmm. you get from, from an author who wrote a book, The Peacemaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe just help us and work through that and yeah. get us going on that. Yeah, I, I would say two things. One is when you are the one who has sinned, um, then it's your responsibility to know what a biblical, godly confession consists of and to do your best to confess the way God would have you confess your sin. So it's in James that we have that command, confess your sins to one another. Um, Put things right, acknowledge it, admit it to each other. Um, If you're on the other side of the ledger, you're the one who has been sinned against, it's not so much your job to sit there as a critic with, you know, squinty eyes Mm. looking at the other person like, do you really mean it? Or, you know, you missed one of the seven A's Ryan talked about. <laughs> you, you only got six of them, so I don't accept. Let's try again. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that. so if you're on that side, you just want to be as quick to forgive yes. somebody else as God is to forgive you. Yes. Is God, when you come to God to confess your sin, is he arms folded, squinty eyed, looking at you like, well, we'll see. I'll, you know, the, the jury's still out. I'll get back to you. Um, no, he, he is so quick to forgive us that we want that to be our disposition mm. where like the prodigal son, when he comes back and the father, like before the son can even finish the words of his confession, the father is hugging him, interrupting him, putting a robe on him. We want to be like that. Like I'm not mainly looking to see if your confession checked all the right boxes. I just, I'm eager to forgive by God's grace because he's forgiven me. So mm. I, I, that's something. So th- that just sets up when you go through these seven A's, this is mainly aimed at when you sin here's how to confess in a biblical way. Mm. Not for the person on the other side to hold this as a, a you know a checklist. Mm. Um, and those seven A's that come from Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, are, are just really helpful. Um, first, address everyone involved. Yes. The, the confession, the principle is the confession should be as public as the sin. Um, so there's there are times when you might sin against one other person, nobody else is around, only you and that person know. You, you can just confess it right there. But oftentimes, we... <laughs> We sin against one person in the presence of other people mm-hmm. who see it and observe it. Mm-hmm. And, and so the confession should address all those people. So this is especially true in families. Um, you know, as a husband, you might lose your patience, react in sinful anger to your wife, 
But if the kids are around, then they should hear yes. the confession. Oh, that's convicting. Or <laughs> you, you know, get sinfully impatient with one child, but other kids were there. Mm. Don't just apologize to that kid. Address the entire family. Mm. The, I, I was wrong. I lost my patience. That was wrong. All of you, please forgive. Uh, you know, we have our kids practice. One of them throws a temper tantrum at the dinner table. That affects the entire family. So we'll remove that child, discipline. When they come back, they should confess to the whole family. Right. I was wrong to throw a fit, make a scene, and then the whole family expresses, we forgive you. Welcome back to the table. Yeah. So address everyone involved, which is humbling. <laughs> very humbling. Yeah. Very, it's hard very to humbling. do. Yes. But it is so good for our souls. Mm. Um, Number two, avoid if, but, and maybe, because our tendency is when we are giving a pseudo apology to just start making excuses. Right. I'm sorry if I offended you. That's not an apology. <laughs> that just leaves it this, maybe you're offended, maybe not. I don't know. If, if you were, I'm sorry. How often, I don't know, Ryan, maybe this is just me. How often do I say that mm. as a precursor to continue to lay in? You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm sorry if this offends you, but, but here's what I yep. actually think. <laughs> like that is not. Yeah. Don't that that even doesn't deserve to be in the category of of confession and yeah. asking forgiveness. I'm sorry, but I was but so tired and I was so overwhelmed. Or yeah. I'm sorry, but you just drive me crazy. <laughs> that is that's not an apology. No, not at all. So avoid if button maybe uh, admit specifically. I think this is vital for us to practice. Again, this gets back into that category of sin is defined by God's word. Scripture has names for our sins, so it speaks of fits of anger, it speaks of envy and jealousy and dissension, it speaks of rivalry and deceit, and it, it calls our sins specific things. Mm. And so we should call our sin what God calls it, um, rather than just saying, hey, I'm sorry, I messed up. Mm. Um, no, I, I lost my patience, and I said unkind things, and I said this thing that was untrue, and, and that's wrong. Yeah. Because God says it's wrong. Right. So I was totally wrong. In fact, um, I think part of admitting specifically is admitting, you know, I, I said that because I meant to hurt you, <laughs> which most of us would rather avoid in any kind of confession. But the word confess means to say with God. So whatever God says about it, we are saying, yep, guilty as charged. God says this, I'm, I'm totally agreeing and mm -hmm. I'm not making any excuse. So mm -hmm. I'm going to admit specifically exactly what I did, what God calls it, I'm going to own that it was wrong. Uh, number four, Ken Sandy says, acknowledge the hurt. Um, just acknowledging that I hurt you. That I'm not trying to downplay that or minimize that. I think that's an important part of showing that we care. Uh, accepting the consequences. Oftentimes we want to use I'm sorry as a way to get out of any consequences. And part of true repentance is accepting there may be natural consequences. There might be legal consequences. <laughs> um and so we're not saying I'm sorry to try to avoid those ramifications. Right. We're willing to accept, you know, so in an extreme case, say somebody has committed murder, but they're converted, they come to faith in Christ, their repentance and faith in Christ would lead them to say, I accept the just mm. punishment from the legal system that, That's that right. this sin deserves, knowing that my sins are forgiven by God, but I'm not confessing in Christ to try to get out of mm -hmm. the consequence for this crime. That's right. Um, number six is alter your behavior. Uh, again, a genuine repentance is a 180. It's a change of mind. You're moving in a new direction. And so there is a danger of just saying the words, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Mm. Uh, and my, my practice, our practice in our family is not to say I'm sorry, which is more a statement of how you feel, but to actually say I was wrong. It's just 
way clearer to say I was wrong mm. than to try to make some statement about how you feel. Um, and, and then altering your behavior involves some statement of here, here's a step I'm taking to move in a new direction or, or here's, you know, what maybe needs to be done, done to make things right or make restitution or, um, I'm, I'm going to reach out to so-and-so and get some help to address mm. this. Or, yes. I mean, it just shows uh, I'm serious about taking steps to change my behavior. Uh, and then finally is, uh, ask for forgiveness and allow time. Just asking, will you forgive me? I was wrong to do what I did, say what I said, will you forgive me? And that puts the ball in the other person's court then. Um, you know, we, we can't demand forgiveness. We can't wrench it out of somebody. Uh, we're not responsible for their response mm. to our confession. It's crucial. We're just responsible before God to say about our sin what God says. And so asking for forgiveness is a, a vital part of that, that invites the, the restoration of the relationship. And yet, as Christians, we are commanded to forgive one another. Yes. When there is... So there, there can be a tendency... We want to avoid the reception of this as like, okay, they did all these steps, and I'm going to wait, and right. I'm going to I'm going to see if it's real or not, yeah. or or wait sh- till the hurt wears off. Right. Or, sure. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Great. It's you know there is a allow for time. Absolutely. But we also must obey God in the command to forgive one That's another. Right. Why? Like, why is is that just a, a command from on high that we just have to obey no matter mm. what? No. There's reasons behind that. And the mm. reason is because Christ forgave you. Mm-hmm. That's why. That's why we forgive one another, because how can we withhold forgiveness from somebody when God forgave us, when our debt to him was so much greater? And so that just helps us like, okay, that's how this this process yeah. is so vital. It and is. It, and when you look at it as seven A's and you're like, man, that's a lot. Do I really have to do that every time my kid acts up or every time? To teach that and instill that process, the the, the payout, if you will, and maybe this is what we'll go to next. There are promises that are given to us of of what could happen mm-hmm. if we do this, of like of true community, mm-hmm. um, of of true fellowship. Because what happens at the end of that process is is this what Paul calls in Second Corinthians five the ministry of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Because we have been reconciled to the Father, again, it, it always starts with the gospel. Because we have been reconciled to the Father through Christ and through His blood, we now have reconciliation amongst one another. Mm -hmm. We can actually, you and I can actually be reconciled no matter our differences because Christ forgave us. So there are great, there's a great hope in this process. Yeah. First John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, which is a surprising phrasing when you stop and think about it. I would totally expect John to say, if we walk in the light as God is light, we have fellowship with God. That would be the logical conclusion, right? Like God's light, we're walking in the light, we have fellowship with God, but he doesn't. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another horizontally. And so the foundation of horizontal fellowship is walking in the light, calling our sin what God calls it. So it's a couple verses later, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all all unrighteousness. So we have the promise and assurance of God's forgiveness, but we also have that promise of horizontal fellowship. So when you know you're out of fellowship with a spouse, a child, a fellow brother or sister in the church, walking in the light is the way back into fellowship. And I think part of our hesitancy to, to forgive or to, to ask for forgiveness, part of our hesitancy in community to address people directly is our fear of what will be the fallout, the relational fallout. Right. Like, Don't want to make it worse. Is it going to be weird between us now? Like, 
but so then Ryan brings there after this process is worked out, Mm -hmm. there is the, I forgive you. Mm -hmm. Now what? Yeah. Now, like, how are we to view one another? I mean, honest, obviously depending on the scale of the sin and the nature of the sin, trust is often, um, put under pressure when with relational strife. Yeah. Um, so that's natural that there might be this like, well, this, this hesitancy, mm-hmm. but yet again, God's word is helpful because it makes promises to us and, and what Jesus has done for us, what God now, how God now views us because of Jesus mm-hmm. is all informing us. So help us now after this whole process takes place. And again, let's imagine it's in the context of a GC where mm-hmm. the whole group's there, they watch it all happen. Now what? Yeah, it, it is significant that the rest of Matthew 18, right after Jesus teaches this process, Peter reads between the lines, and he understands the implications of what Jesus is saying. Jesus deals with what to do at each step if your brother doesn't listen, but the implication is, as soon as he does listen and he does confess, forgive him. Mm -hmm. And Peter knows that's clearly the implication because immediately following this teaching, Peter has a question for Jesus, how many times will my brother sin against me (laughs) and I forgive him. Seven? <laughs> He's trying to be really generous. Right. Like, like seven do, sounds feels, like a lot. That feels like a lot. In fact, it might be perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So <laughs> and, and Jesus says, you know, famously, I tell you not seven times, but seventy times seven times. Um so this fullness of perfection just the, the point is you're you're not counting. You are your job. It's it's you switch to the other side. Um if you're the one who has sinned, here's your job. Your responsibility before God is confess it. Switching the attention to the person on the other side, mm. if you were the one sinned against, your responsibility is to forgive. And then Jesus goes into that parable of the unmerciful servant, yes. which is so powerful oh. when he makes that point of, if you struggle to forgive your brother who has sinned against you, you are not considering fully the massive debt that yes. God has forgiven you. And so like you said, it, it all begins with God has forgiven us our sins in Christ. That's why I'm inclined to be merciful. It's a and, miracle. Uh, my favorite way to sum up all of conflict resolution in any relationship, um, get this from Tim Bryant, a biblical counselor in South Carolina, who says, um, biblical conflict resolution is just simply resolving to respond to somebody else's sin the way God deals with my sin. Mm-hmm. I- I'm going to respond to you the way God responds to me, which is what? mercy and forgiveness and patience. And so Ken Sandy gives helpfully four promises of forgiveness. When when we say, I forgive you, and this is uh, you know on the, that side of the issue, just like we don't want to say, I'm sorry, but actually say, I was wrong, please forgive me. When you say, I forgive you, that's important to actually articulate not just something like, it's okay, right. or it's no big deal, because neither of those are true. If, if it's sin, it's not okay. And it is a big deal. Jesus right. had to die for it. Yes. But to say, I forgive you is a promise that really means, um, I'm not going to hold this against you. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to dwell on it when it yes. comes to my mind. I am committing to push it out of my mind because that's the, the nature of being hurt is we, we tend to replay it over and over again. And that's how bitterness it. gets it kind of rots away. Um, I'm not going to dwell on it. Uh, I'm not going to bring it up to use it against you, mm. uh, which is tempting to do, particularly in marriage. You <laughs> always do this. You you did mm. this last week and the week before that. Right. And, you know, keep a record, and then every time just kind of compiles. And, um, compounding interest is just, you know, mm. racking up. Um, and then also, I'm not going to talk to others about this. 
And so really we're saying, how does God deal with my sin? Well, he removes it from me as far as the east is from the west. He throws it into the depths of the sea and remembers it no more. He blots out my transgressions and does not call them to mind. Um, he remembers our sins no more. So if that's how God deals with my sin, that's how I'm going to deal with yours. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to talk to other people and spread it around, and I'm not going to hold it against you. And so then the relationship is is restored. Um, now, there are complexities, various circumstances where um, I think more serious sin, you know, take a, a case of abuse. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, what, what, what does that look like there? Right. Probably save that for another time. But right. We're talking about... You know, general run-of-the-mill, in, interpersonal one sin. One another, yes. yes. It, what's so critical with these four promises is to, again, not only couch it with how God deals with us, but imagine the opposite. Imagine if God did dwell mm. on your sin. Imagine if God did keep a record of wrong. What if he did bring it up and accuse you every single time you did it again and again? Mm. And praise God that, that that's not how he deals with us. So that is such a helpful grounding to the process of, to this process. That's right. Um, and it really does then allow us after the forgiveness is made to say, welcome back. That's right. it, it, so like in the context of our house of, um, I, it helps me, the discipliner, if you will, um, kind of reshape and, and give self-control and not like you're doing this again. We just talked about this. Right. You, you're, you're fussing again. <laughs> you're crying again. You're fighting again. You're mm-hmm. stealing again. Whatever it is, to recognize, like, no, I, I, am committed to not holding that sin against them now. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to deal with the one in front of me. That's right. And the process needs to play out. But the joy that happens afterwards, after mm-hmm. a discipline, after forgiveness and reconciliation, of just smiling it's to so my sweet. children, hugging them, and saying, "I love you. Welcome back," and bringing them back to the table, as you said, mm-hmm. and um, there is. And we are to treat them that way. Yeah. Um, of course, five minutes later, there's another sin that we need to deal with, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's part of growth and maturity of like the joy of reconciliation means that you can actually have fellowship. Not this faux, like mm-hmm. squinty-eyed, distrustful, but like actual, we're back. Yeah. And we're or in a fake niceness where everybody's just acting nice, and everybody but you know, know under the surface yes. things are not right. And everybody knows that feeling, especially here in the Midwest, of like there is a niceness and then there's this like faux niceness where yep. it's just like, oh, hey, yeah, everything's good. And you know there's a bunch of drama going on. And like yep. that's how community is it's destroyed, employed, implodes. And so may that not be said of us. May, may it be said of us that we have this ministry of reconciliation. Amen. What a gospel. And what a savior. Exactly. And then to, to live this out. I, I think we'll um, I think we're going to post when we post this one, we'll include this this good. article in the in the notes below. And so feel free to check it out. Feel free to Ask questions. Um, mm-hmm. Reach out to us about how do you, how you see this playing out within your marriage, in your parenting, um, in your gospel communities. We just we just trust that God's way is better, and that it can and will. That's right. Get stuff done. So, till next time. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles or missional communities or gospel fluency, you can reach out to your missional community leader. And if you're not yet plugged into gospel community at Emmaus Road, visit us online at EmmausRoadSF.com.